You can see behind me uh, the, the series is, uh, that we're going through at the moment is called Life in Lockdown. And to today, what we're wanting to do is talk about living in contentment. We're, we're in this time where we are, we are in our bubbles in our homes. And as we, as we even think about what, uh, what a church is, you know, we've been talking for a, quite a while now, since the, about the beginning of the year, that the church is not a building. The church is a group of people. And this, uh, this group of people continues to be a church even when we can't get into our building. Even when we are dispersed around the town and around the region, we are still the church. And yet I'd, I'd encourage you as well, though, this time when we can't get together, when we're kind of virtually getting together, uh, which is great and we should be thankful for that, I would hope that it feels like at the moment uh, as a church we have I, kind of, I guess we kind of have a twisted ankle or maybe a broken leg or something like that. Something's not quite right. Uh, we, uh, I, I know there's a lot of people, uh, even maybe even in our church, but are certainly around the world that are commenting that this time where we get to uh, be a church in our own living rooms uh, and be part of a church service in our own living rooms and we get to uh, rock up in our pajamas and a cup of coffee or, or whatever it is and not have to worry about doing our hair or, or the likes. Um, this, uh, a lot of people are commenting that, hey, this is fantastic, and this is the way that it should be going, on, going forward. Maybe this is changing the way that church uh, works uh, from this point forward. Well, I, I think I'd encourage us to think that this probably is a time where we're, we're, we're rather than saying, hey, this is going to change the way that we do church, or they'll change the way that we gather together as a church, I would uh, encourage us to think that actually, no, God has got it, had it right for 2,000 years. And this is just a very, very unusual little time, and it should hopefully, we, we pray that it'll just be a short window and this broken ankle or broken leg will get healed and we will all be able to get back together again because I don't know about you but I'm really looking forward to, uh, to all getting back together again and just being able to sit in the same room and hear each other's voices. We don't have to hear some, uh, some pre-recorded voices singing to us and singing with us. So I, I pray that that will be, uh, that is something that you look forward to as well. Yes, I think that this online presence uh, does have some part to play uh, in, in the way that we uh, do a church service going forward, but I hope that, uh, well, I don't think it should ever replace for us getting together uh, as, a, as a group and getting together in the flesh and enjoying one another's company. So all that said, what we're going to do now is we're going to have a look at this, uh, this topic for today, living in contentment. Lord willing, it is the last in this series. Lord willing, we will uh, go down to level three some, sometime pretty soon. We don't know. Uh, tomorrow we'll find out as to whether we have to put another one into the series for next week and have another live stream from our uh, living room here. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out tomorrow. But today I want to have a look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Let's have a, have a look there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. And even, even right now you might be thinking, I think I know Philippians 4, 13. Even have, place, your, place your eyes on it right now. It's one of the uh, a catchphrase verse. It is a really common verse. It's oftentimes a, a, um, a memory verse that a lot of kids uh, memorize and a lot of people memorize around the world. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Perhaps you're your version, your translation says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that's where this, uh, this uh, passage is going to center around. But let's have a look at the verses 
um, that come before it because it will help us understand what Paul's talking about there when he says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So starting in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you, that's the Philippian church, have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so now he's going to talk about what that, uh, what his response is to their concern and their, uh, I guess, their gift to Paul. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in every, oh sorry, in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray before we uh, really dig into this passage. Our Father, thank you that we can uh, be here together. We thank you that we can open your word. We thank you that uh, we still, even at a time where we're not allowed to uh, gather together and, and greet one another and shake hands with one another, I thank you that we can still gather around your word and that we can open your word and that we can learn together. I pray that you would bless this time as over the next few minutes as we just unpack these few verses. I pray that you would help us and guide our thoughts, guide our minds. Uh, I pray that you would guard my mouth from error so that I wouldn't lead anyone astray and that we would just enjoy learning from your word and, uh, and being transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So we thank you, Father, for this time and it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So uh, you may uh, you may know the 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 face uh, just on the, in a moment on the screen is going to come up a picture of a of a guy. Uh, hopefully, any moment there now. And you may ha may know his name. If we were all together at the moment, we would. Uh, I'd, I'd ask you, does anyone know uh, this guy's name? Uh, I, I sorry, I can't hear you if you're yelling it out from your living room back at home. Uh, Jeff Bezos is his name. And you may know him as being the founder and CEO of Amazon, of Amazon.com and the great uh, massive multinational now that, that is Amazon. Jeff Bezos has been, since 2017, the richest man in the world, according to the, uh, uh, those lists that are published, I think, by Forbes. Uh, and he is, at the moment, the world's only, and we'll get this right, only centi-billionaire. Uh, which means that he has more than $100 billion in, uh, in wealth accredited to his name. So he's the only one uh, in, the, in the world at the moment, looks like Bill Gates, depending on how uh, the coronavirus hits Bill Gates, Bill Gates might uh, tip over that, that line pretty soon as well. But uh, Jeff Bezos, so in, in just a, another stratosphere in terms of wealth compared to most of the rest of the world, almost all of the rest of the world. Uh, of course, Scripture has someone who was probably in that same sort of stratosphere. If we think back through the pages of, of the Bible, um, we would come across a character by the name of King Solomon, whom the Bible says he had wealth that was incomparable to the rest of the kings of the world. His, uh, and when you, when you talk about uh, kings, they are in a, uh, whether it's today or back in biblical times, they're in their own kind of tax bracket, all of their own anyway. They are just, uh, they are incredibly wealthy, but King Solomon outstripped them all. 
King Solomon had amassed wealth uh, because of his wisdom and because of the, the way that the Lord favored him and favored Israel at that time. He had a, a comparable wealth that probably far outstrips Jeff Bezos. And yet King Solomon, at the end of his life, King Solomon was, uh, came to the point where he said that everything that he has is meaningless. It was all worth nothing. It was all, if you read one translation, it's all vanity. It's meaningless. It's nothing. And so this, this guy, Jeff Bezos, uh, whether, you, uh, whether you identify with him and, and, uh, and whether he has a, a, a hundred billion dollars or more, uh, just like King Solomon at the end of his life, I, I think he's not going to be any better than Solomon and he'll be, he'll be realizing that this massive fortune that he has can seem just meaningless. So whether you're Jeff Bezos or whether perhaps you're a kid in the slums who, is, who has nothing and who just wants uh, for just a little bit more so that he can scrape through the next day, I think what we'll find is that the things that are around us never satisfy us. Whether we have everything in the world like Solomon or Bezos, whether we have nothing in the world, the, the things that are around us, they, they don't satisfy us. And when we come to this, this passage here, uh, Philippians 4 verses 10 to 13, and especially verse 13, there's, there's a bit of a history of having some, I guess what you might call, uh, misguided interpretations of this of this verse and of this of this passage, and it starts to dig into uh, this idea of trying to being satis- be satisfied in our in our circumstances or as being satisfied in something of this world. And unfortunately, there has been a bit of a history of some misguided interpretations. You probably uh, are familiar with the Fiji and Rugby Sevens team. For a long time, they had this verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They had that on the back of their, back of their shirts, which was great. Uh, and it was cool that there was scripture on the back of the Fiji and Rugby Sevens team's shirts. Although the way that it was applied to their situation, a lot of, and the way that a lot of people uh, externally applied it to their situation meant that they were assuming that that, was, that verse was going to mean that they could win. They could win their rugby games, they could win the rugby tournaments because of Christ and uh, Christ strengthening them to do that. So what we're going to do this morning is I want to look at, at three ways that we could approach this verse, approach these verses, two of them which are misguided and then hopefully we'll look at or round it out by looking at what actually Paul meant when he was uh, when he was penning these words and we're going to have a look at this idea of contentment if even right now just have a have a look at the context because we we're, we're really really good aren't we we're really really good at grabbing a verse that sounds really cool like Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that's a fantastic verse to kind of plaster across your your wall and it is yet let's have a look at the context of it just to see what Paul was talking about let's roll back to verse 11 not that I am speaking of being in need for here we go for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low I know how to be brought bound I know in every circumstance in every circumstance he knows how to be content so this this passage here is actually talking about contentment before it talks about uh, Christ strengthening us to do anything so let's have a look at 
Uh, first up, two ways in which we've perhaps um, not quite got this uh, verse right but in the past. Some, a couple of misguided interpretations. Firstly, the source of our contentment being circumstances. Kids, if you're sitting there uh, with us this morning, it's great to have you with us. I, I hope you're enjoying the, the service so far. Kids, if you were to pinpoint one day in the year that is your favorite day, maybe apart from your birthday, what day might it be? And I'm wondering if a lot of kids right now are jumping up and down saying, Christmas, 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 Christmas. It is, uh, Christmas is a great time. We probably, most of us, love Christmas. And uh, one of the things that, uh, that we enjoy about Christmas, of course, we celebrate Jesus' uh, life here and his birth and uh, that, that incredible gift that God gave us. In our kind of uh, cultural setting, of course, the other big thing that happens and oftentimes the big thing that takes over Christmas is the presents. And I get it. The presents are fun. The presents are cool. Uh, and if you're a, if you're a little kid, sometimes you might be uh, you might be looking forward to this Christmas, uh, and you might be looking forward to perhaps a, a big guy in a red suit by the name of Santa, and him doing his thing at Christmas. And I wonder sometimes if we see God as a great big Santa in heaven. I wonder sometimes if we read that this verse as saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we read that and we, and we understand it to be that God's going to help me do anything that I want. God's going to end up doing anything, help me. He's going to give me the strength through Christ to, for me to do anything that I want to do. There's some, uh, there's some unusual thinking out there in, in some uh, circles and around Christianity some unusual thinking that the, the idea going that God wants us to always be healthy or always be wealthy or always be happy. And this verse kind of centers around that uh, or, or is one of the key verses around that thinking. The idea that God's going to help me do anything that I want. That God wants me to be healthy. That God wants me to be wealthy. He wants me to be happy all the time and all, whatever the circumstances are. And one of the big problems with that kind of thinking is that it turns God into some kind of divine butler. What it means is that we treat God as if, as if he is the one that is going to bring us stuff. He's going to bring us uh, maybe good health when we get that really bad diagnosis, uh, when, that, when that cancer diagnosis comes along. He's the one that's going to bring us wealth when, we, when we're feeling down, when we're feeling poor. He is the one that's going to fill our bank account again. He's the one that's going to make us happy when, we are, when, we are, when we're down, when we're downcast, when we're sad, when we're depressed. And we can treat God like a divine butler because what we kind of, uh, the, the idea that we might start to slip into is that if we have enough faith and obedience, God's going to give us stuff. If we can just muster up enough faith, then God will uh, return and return to us and he's going to give us stuff, the health or the wealth or whatever it might be. It's kind of like he owes it to us. And that's where the, that, this kind of idea of God, was going, God is going to help me do anything that I want. It's like he owes it to us. And the problem, of course, is that this is not at all what the Bible teaches, is it? 
Uh, it's not, a, not the, what the Bible teaches. This is not what Paul's talking about here in this verse. He's talking about being brought low. He's being brought, taught about, about uh, uh, having plenty or being in need or being in, in want. And the Bible is uh, very clear, particularly in the, in the New Testament, that we are going to uh, have to uh, be prepared to give up all for Christ. We are going to have to pick up our da- cross daily and follow him. That, that uh, persecution and suffering will be part of our life. Um, and that's, so the Bible teaches uh, something that is, uh, not, that, is pro- that is diametrically opposed to the idea that God's going to help me do anything I want, but I get the attraction to the idea. If someone came, if I w- wasn't a, a a Christian, and someone came along and said that God can help me get a whole lot of money and be really wealthy, or God can help me uh, always be uh, be well and be healthy, and rather than uh, get sick, or particularly if I did get sick, He was uh, He's able to bring me out of that, and he, and that He would bring me out. I get the attraction to that. I would want that for sure. And, uh, and the problem is, though, even though that's very attractive and that's very nice, it's not Christianity. Because what it ends up being is that we don't, it's, it's a, it changes our focus. It means that we're not wanting God or we're not wanting Christ in our life, but more we're wanting what God could give us. We're wanting the money that God can give us or the health that God can give us rather than us just wanting God, wanting, wanting Christ, wanting the, the, the beauty and the, and, the, and the fantastic desire and that love of knowing who Christ is and Him living in us. And so if we were to go down that path and think about God as a divine butler, that can easily and massively discourage us. J.I. Packer unpacks this uh, really, really well. If you want to have a look at his book uh, called Knowing God, he, he really uh, unpacks this to a large extent and, and, and really pulls it apart. It can so easily discourage us, this idea of thinking about God as a divine butler who brings us stuff. Because here's, here's how it can really discourage us. Because if things don't work out then we have to ask, am I really a Christian? This, this, idea, this, this, this idea of God bringing us the things that I want, if things don't work out, then we start to ask, am I really a Christian? And then we're encouraged uh, by, by those that, that uh, hold these ideas that we just have to have more faith, that we have to muster up more faith, and so it becomes works-based. And so our salvation becomes based on our works. Can we muster up enough faith? Can we muster up enough obedience so that God will give us the things that we want? And if anything comes along that tells us that we need to do something, comes along that tells us we need to work for our salvation, then unfortunately that is a different gospel. It's a different way of of a different way to salvation, a different way to God, a different way to God rather than just through com- simple, complete faith in Christ. And unfortunately, that does become a different gospel. And, I, and I, if, you're wanting, if you're interested in some homework, uh, perhaps have a look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, have a look at that verse, and there's a one particular word in there that is, uh, in your translation, your English translation is probably uh, translated accursed or cursed, uh, it's a Greek word called anathema. I would encourage you, if you've got some word search tools, have a real good look at the, what that word anathema means. And have a really good look at what that, at the, 
at the extent of that word and what Paul says about someone then who is preaching a different gospel. Uh, I'll leave that there for you for homework. We're not going to get into that this morning, but, but I just wanted us to, I, I guess, just for us to understand that the source of our contentment is not going to be our circumstances. The source of our contentment just, just ca- cannot be. And one of the things that we, uh, that we can understand or we have to understand uh, in that is that our definition of good is often very different, different to God's definition of good. We see, we see good as circumstances being nice. If, if we uh, go up to someone and ask them, are you having a good day? What we're generally referring to is, is your day going well? Is your day nice for you? Are you happy in what's going on in your day? We see good as circumstances being nice. Yet God sees the long game. God sees an eternity. God sees what we're going through at the moment, which may or may not be nice for us. And he sees the long game, which ends in perfection forever. And he's willing to take us through some less than nice circumstances in order to take us to that perfection, that perfection in eternity. He sees the long game. We see, though, the present. And that's about it. We might be able to imagine tomorrow. We might be able to imagine next week or next year. But, but realistically, wind back the clock just a few months, maybe six months or less. Who of us would have imagined us being here in this particular scenario just six months ago? Coronavirus probably wasn't, was in, in just a handful of uh, our, our, our uh, vocabularies. Probably a few veterinarians would have heard of coronavirus before. Uh, before just a few months ago and yet here's where we are we had no idea that this was coming God sees the long game though we have no ability to see the full picture and in fact God made it that way we don't know what's coming and he wants because he wants us to be uh, content not in our circumstances or the current state of our life he wants us to find our contentment in him and the promises that he has that he is working all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose that's, that's Romans eight twenty eight. let that verse just sink into your soul at a time like this all right so that's the, the content, uh, sorry, that the, the circumstances being the, the source of our content. But, uh, but I want to uh, reiterate that, that I'm not suggesting that we should be living oblivious to our circumstances. And I'm not suggesting that God doesn't care about your circumstances. He does. And circumstances are real. There are real things that we're going through. Some of you are, are at the moment looking at a business that, uh, that potentially is ruined. Uh, potentially your life's work, maybe your life's savings that might have gone into a, a business and it's just looking really dicey as to whether that business is, uh, is going to be, uh, to, be, to be able to continue on. So where there are real circumstances and those real circumstances do have an impact on us. They have an impact on our, on our, uh, our emotions. There's no, de- no doubt about that. And I also want to make, uh, make it clear that it's normal for us to want to be happy. That is a normal thing. God made us that way. He desires, uh, or he, he made us for us to, to desire to enjoy things, to enjoy being happy. But it's where we place our, our, the source of that contentment, the source of our happiness, the source of our joy. That's what we're 
wanting to look at because the truly content person is not defined by their circumstances. The truly content person is not defined by their circumstances. Paul was content no matter what his circumstances were. So he wasn't going to see God as some sort of divine butler. He was, he was not going to look at God in that way. He knew that he was the servant of the Most High God and that his life was laid out before God. He knew also that, that, uh, that God was not a servant of his. He was a servant of God, God's and that God was, even though uh, Paul was God's servant, God did have, though, a master plan which was going to bring him into a perfection. Remember that, that verse just a little while ago in Philippians, back in chapter 1. For, for, for Paul, to live was Christ, but to die was gain. He realized that, that God had the long game in mind and that he knew where he was going. He knew that these circumstances in life here, they were just temporary. They were only going to last a little while and God was playing the long game. And so there it is. There's the, the, the first way that we can sometimes misinterpret or have some misguided interpretations of this verse the idea of uh, contentment uh, being uh, from our circumstances and so of course we want to uh, just reject that idea of of God being some sort of divine butler Uh, that's not where we're going to find our contentment because God is not our divine butler whom we order around or or ask or 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 expect for him to do anything that we want so if that's not the case let's look on at the second way that we sometimes misinterpret the the the, these verses or kind of have a little get a little bit misguided here and that's the that the source of contentment might be ourselves there's this idea of stoicism this idea of stoicism as if we can uh, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and and we can just endure through anything Um, and in fact if you were to have a bit of a study in the book of Philippians you'll see that uh, a lot of commentators are are suggesting that this idea of stoicism was something that was around in that Philippian uh, context uh, quite significantly there's a lot of people teaching stoicism the idea that that, uh, that circumstances, uh, we, we shouldn't get our contentment from circumstances, uh, but that circumstances are probably always going to be bad. And we just, we just, what we need to do is just dig into ourselves, endure, and just dig out through the hardship. And, uh, and so we, we look to sometimes the source of our, our contentment being the fact that we can just have the power to be content or just to get through or to endure as if you could learn, uh, learn the secret within yourself to face the, the plenty or the hunger, the abundance or the need that Paul talks about. And in fact, a form of stoicism is still around today. And it's in the form of self-reliance. In fact, I think it's really rampant today. Um, it's really rampant today. And uh, this idea of self-reliance is, is something that all of us, I think, are um, all of us, get uh, gets in some way get trapped into it's interesting western civilization started with christian roots and it said if we follow god's ways we will flourish because his ways are best i think that's on the screen there now western civilization started with the christian roots if we follow god's ways we will, uh, we will flourish because his ways are best. That's, with a, that's the cry that it started with. That's what Western civilization said as it started out. But now that's morphed into we can flourish because humanity is so great. 
That's what we cry now. Humanity, we, we can flourish because humanity is so great. I mean, look at us. We put a man on the moon. And that was over 50 years ago. We put a man on the moon. We have built uh, enormous cities built on mind-blowing technology. Just look at us. Look at what we can do. By the way, that's not a new kind of idea. Think back to the Tower of Babel there. Uh, if, you, if you were ever a fan of Star Trek, I never quite really got into Star Trek uh, so, so much, but if you were a fan of Star Trek, uh, the, whole, the whole premise of Star Trek is that humanity could overcome absolutely anything that the universe could throw at it. And we would overcome and that we would all come to this kind of utopia idea. We will flourish because humanity is so good. Hollywood tells us that story time and time again. No matter what comes at humanity, we will overcome it and we will win. We can pull ourselves up from the depths and we can triumph. And we can do anything because we are so great. And now in 2020, we're being tested by a tiny little Microsoft virus that none of us can see. And it makes us think, okay, can we actually deal with this? Can we actually beat this? Are we so great? We might be able to do these amazing things, put a man on the moon, build enormous cities, but can we deal with something so microscopic as a virus? And in fact, if, if we're looking at these, these verses here, it almost sounds like Paul is kind of being some, uh, stoic. He's, he's saying that I, can, uh, that I have learned how to, to be content in whatever situation. I know how to be brought low. I know how to just to, to, to endure through being brought low. Uh, and I know in any and every circumstance, I know the, the secret of facing hunger, those things. It sounds like he might be being a little stoic and I think he's probably actually intentionally echoing some stoic language of the day the stoic teachers uh, would have probably looked at those first couple of verses there that uh, that we read of Paul's and said yeah actually uh, I, I agree with you and the Philippians probably would have seen the real strong parallels there but Paul takes an all-important turn at the end he twists it it's a very very important twist he uh, he he makes at the end he doesn't say that I can do all things because I'm great he doesn't say, I can do all things because I can endure. He doesn't say, I can do all things because humanity will overcome anything. He says, I can do everything because of Christ who strengthens me. He has a totally different source for contentment. So we can see that the source of the contentment being within ourselves, being that, 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 uh, that stoic depth within ourselves that is... Uh, that is just not going to uh, work and that's a misguided interpretation we need to put aside as well. And of course, what, what was Paul talking about? He was talking about our contentment being in Christ. That's what verse 13 is talking to us about. He was, gonna, he was saying that our contentment is only to be found in Christ. Sue was talking about that herself just, uh, just a few minutes ago. She was talking about the, the fact that, that no matter where, where she finds herself in the, in the murkiness of the, world, of the world and the world's circumstances, 
um, and having to do things like bring her sabbatical forward, come over to New Zealand when she wasn't expecting to. She was keen to stay in Cambodia there. And I know of other missionaries that were that a similar sort of scenario, having to come back to New Zealand uh, because of what's going on here and having to f- find re- and realize that the circumstances that they find themselves in are not going to bring contentment, but their contentment is only found in Christ. Paul implies that plenty or want are really actually irrelevant. Now they're not irrelevant to our circumstances, whether we're plenty or, or want, but they are relevant to his contentment. You know, there's many Christians throughout history that have been that have been tortured, they've been martyred. If you uh, want to uh, just take a little bit of a survey of of church history, if you if you don't, it doesn't take long to get. Uh, into church history and you find that some of the stories that uh, that fellow Christians fellow brothers and sisters in Christ have gone through throughout the ages are absolutely horrific many of them have been through things like torture through martyrdom through some pretty horrendous deaths and you can imagine during those times they were terrified they were heartbroken when they saw loved ones Uh, going through those circumstances they were devastated during those times but so often as you read through the stories of church history there is just a quiet calm contentment because they were content in Christ they were content in God's good hand holding them through they were content in God's good hand knowing the long game and knowing that God was going to take them into something that was going to be far far better than the circumstances that they were in. They weren't stoic. Paul wasn't stoic, which is just prideful. They were humble, and Paul was being humble here. He was saying that the circumstances that they might feel us, I'm sorry, they might make us feel all sorts of things. And in fact, they do. You can think about the circumstances in your life. They might make you feel happy. They might make you feel sad. Uh, when we lose a loved one, it's right to feel sad. All those emotions, uh, the circumstances in life do impact our emotions they might even make you feel weak but it's Paul himself in 2nd Corinthians 12 verse 10 says that when I'm weak then who is strong if I'm weak who is strong there's a song that floats around there that says when I am strength he is strong talking about God or talking about Christ but in fact in 2nd Corinthians 12 verse 10 Paul says when I am weak I am strong when I am weak I am strong why because it is Christ who strengthens me. That's where, that's what our, our circumstances can, can do. That's what our circumstances can bring us to. The fact that we realize that, that we're weak and our strength can only be found in Christ. So our source of contentment then is Christ. He turns our insufficiency into Christ's sufficiency and then gives us contentment. He turns our insufficiency into Christ's sufficiency and gives us strength. He turns that discontentment into contentment because we, we know that everything else in this world might disappear tomorrow. Everything. The, and some of you have experienced that, a portion of that. You've experienced the, the having something. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a job or, or the likes. Maybe it's some health. And that has recently just been pulled out from underneath you. And it turns that discontentment into contentment because although everything else might disappear tomorrow or it might have disappeared just in the last week or so, all we need is Christ. All we need is Christ. 
the question though when we come to this verse because it's it's a verse that we're, that often gets plastered across our our walls or the likes and it says i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and the question is can i like can i can i do anything can i do every everything well what it's what this isn't saying is that i i have christ so therefore i can go and climb mount everest without oxygen uh, it's not saying that i have christ so that uh, so therefore I can, uh, I can be a mermaid. I know that there's some of you out there that have that particular dream or maybe had that particular dream when you were younger. It's not saying that I can just do anything I, anything I want. The context is saying that this refers to all of his living, whether it's plenty or whether it's want, whether it is being brought high or brought low, he is able to be content in everything. Have a look back there in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So, what does this mean for us living this week? We're in a, we're in a life and lockdown series. We're in a life and lockdown series and we're here because we're doing this. We're, we're live streaming from an unusual location. We're live streaming from our living room of all places because of one particular thing and that is that we have a coronavirus floating around us circumstances might have been going well for you circumstances might have been uh, going well for you and you were living life enjoying life enjoying those circumstances and putting your putting your kind of trust or your contentment in those circumstances and the rake has just been pulled out from underneath you and if they haven't then something else in the next week or two or month or year might also just do that. Those circumstances that you are enjoying, those circumstances that you think are bringing contentment, those circumstances probably will at some point be taken out from underneath you. So we're not looking at being content in our circumstances. Nor is it going to come from us, uh, this contentment being uh, going to come from us just being strong enough just to deal with it. For the past couple of months, a virus has been spreading around the world. It's been just absolutely sweeping all over the world. But for the past couple of decades, a plague has been sweeping around the world. There's been a plague of suicide and mental illness. And because we've tried to be strong enough to, to deal with what life brings us, we've realized that we, that we just can't. We just can't, we don't have it within us to, to deal with this plague, deal with the, the, the issues of life, deal with all the things that uh, life will bring us. And so we have this plague of suicide and, and mental illness and the coronavirus is just making those, that situation more difficult and more pronounced. So what does it look like for us this week? When we're, when we're walking through this week, when we're walking through this week, we realize that we're just not going to be able to stay content in our circumstances. We're not going to be able to stay content in our, in our own selves, in our own self-ability, in our own strength. All that we are going to be able to be content in is Christ and Christ living in us, knowing that because of what Christ did, because, because of that Christ has saved us, because he has, uh, he has given his life for us, he has paid the price of sin on the cross, and he has beaten death. So 
So our circumstances around us start to fade into the background. The, the things of this earth grow, fa- uh, grow, grow strangely dim in the light of Christ's glory and grace within us. He is the one that all our contentment comes from because we know that because of Christ, God is playing the long game. God is looking to take us towards an eternity and a paradise with him forever. And that's only because of Christ in us. That's why Paul can find his, his, his contentment, find his strength in Christ. Life might be a difficult ride for you. And it might be a difficult ride to a painful end even. But we're content that Christ with us will take us through. Christ in us will take us through to where everything is made right and everything is made perfect. So this week, what we need to do is we need to renew our mind. Romans 12 verse 2 says exactly that. We need to renew our mind, realize that, that, uh, that we have to just start pushing away these circumstances, we have to push away this idea that of, of just digging down into our own boots and getting through. And renew our mind, place our faith and our hope in the only one that can bring us contentment in all things. You know, Psalm 16 verse 8 says that I have set the, uh, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. What a verse to, what a verse to just to renew our mind with. I have set the Lord always before me. Are you the, so this week, I would encourage you to set the Lord always before you. Meditate on the fact that Christ is before you. Christ is for you. Christ has saved you and Christ is taking you to this place that that God wants to take us because he is at my right hand, David says. He, and David didn't even know the, the glory of what he was saying there. He didn't even know that Christ, that the Lord himself, that God himself was going to come and indwell him. He is at my right hand, so I will not be shaken. There is David's contentment in Psalm 16. There is Paul's contentment here in Philippians 4. That has to be our contentment. The Lord is at my right hand, so I will not be shaken. Let's pray together father thank you for these uh, this passage thank you for these verses lord i pray that as uh, as we let those things just uh, sink into our minds as we let as we meditate on them as we just start to enjoy the truths that that because of christ i can be content in all things because christ strengthens me I can do all things. I can be content in any situation that God brings along in my life. I can, bring, I can be content in the highs and, uh, and, and I can be content in the lows. And Lord, I pray that as we walk through this time of difficulty, this time of uh, virus sweeping around the world, Lord, I pray that we would be, find our contentment nowhere else other than Christ. Lord, I pray that we would uh, reject the idea of just being able to uh, just look inside of us for our strength. Uh, we know that the world tells us to look around us, to, sorry, to look inside us. Even the Disney movies that we put in front of our kids tell us to look inside of us and to be strong. Lord, we know that that's just not going to work for the Apostle Paul. Uh, if it couldn't work for the Apostle Paul, it can't work for us. Lord, our contentment has to come from you lord jesus so i pray that we would dig into you that we would know that that you are at our right hand in fact you are indwelling us and so that we will not be shaken as david says 
So we thank you for this time again, and we pray that as we head into communion now, that we would just enjoy reflecting on all that you have done for us, in us, and for us, and now through us as well. So we thank you for all these things, and it's in Jesus' wonderful and incredible name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for this particular uh, question, because I think it brings balance, and uh, and always want to bring balance. So here's the question. Are you saying that we can't believe the promises in God's word for fear of treating our Lord as a divine butler. Yes, I agree it does not apply to Philippians 4.13, but you implied that we shouldn't expect good things from him. You also seem to imply that it's wrong to pray for, spiritual, uh, for blessings, spiritual and physical. So yes, yeah, so thanks very much. So here's what I wanna, w- always want to do when uh, I'm presenting God's word. I always want to give balance. So I always want to tell us what we, uh, you know, how we might misinterpret it. Uh, but also how we should interpret it and then also uh, address further implications for that. So so am I saying that we can't believe the promises in God's word for fear of treating the Lord as a divine butler? Okay, so absolutely I don't want to say that we shouldn't believe the promises in God's word. The promises in God's word are there and they are good and they are for our good and uh, we oftentimes... Uh, I think of uh, Philippians 4.13, I think of uh, Jeremiah 29, and, uh, and oftentimes those verses are plucked out of, out of uh, context and then misapplied to us. Having said that, should we expect good things from God? Or should we ask good things from God? Absolutely. Now God is not a divine butler who, who owes us anything, but God is a loving God who desires to give, James 1, who gives all good things that are given are from God. God is a, is a God who desires to give us all good things. We just, rem- we just need to take a turn that a little bit and remember that God's definition of good is far above our understanding of, of our, def- or far above our definition of what is good. So his good might actually, m- might look a little bit different for us in the meantime. Should we believe the promises of God? Absolutely, 100%. Will those promises of God look exactly how we think they should? Oftentimes not. But God is a, is a generous God, is a loving God. He is for us and he wants us to enjoy both him specifically and because we're enjoying him, enjoy the things of, uh, of the, the world around us which he gives us in his generosity and, and his grace and his common grace to all humanity. So just think about one particular scenario. We get sick. Perhaps there's a cancer diagnosis. Should we be praying for healing in that? Absolutely we should. Should we be uh, earnestly and expectantly be praying for healing in that scenario? Yes, absolutely, we, we should. Should we be discouraged if God doesn't answer exactly how we uh, want him to answer? No, we shouldn't, because we, we then rest back on God's goodness. Uh, I, I, think of, I think of a uh, an extended family member who has just gone to be with the Lord because of, uh, because of a cancer diagnosis. And there was many that were praying for, for healing, and yet the cancer took him. And yet, has he healed right now? 
absolutely he is. Uh, so God has answered our prayers for healing in, in, in an amazing, perfect way so that his body is, is there's nothing that's going to get at his body now. Uh, not even a common cold is going to get at his body now. And so, uh, so God is faithful and, and uh and answering us and he is uh, and we, so we should ask we should expect we should desire for uh, and bring all our desires uh, to, to God uh, and that is a really good thing so hopefully that just brings a, a little bit of a little bit of balance there I, I, I can see how you might have uh, got that implication from what I was saying there all right I think that's about us for today 